blessed Pope John Paul II warned of the rapid spread of the culture of death, especially in the West. He also gave us a mission to live as witnesses to the gospel of life and to help heal our troubled culture. To do this more effectively, we must be informed about the vital issues in healthcare and bioethics. Today, we'll discuss these issues with our special guest, Dr. Marie Hilliard, Director of Bioethics and Public Policy for the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Thank you for joining us today on Franciscan University Presents. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Today we'll be discussing Catholic issues in healthcare and bioethics. I'm joined here in our studios with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology here at Franciscan University, and today our special guest, Dr. Marie Hilliard, who's the Director of Bioethics and Public Policy at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Um, she has a long, long history in serving as a healthcare professional and as an advocate for life. She's a tenured faculty uh, and a was a chair of Division of Nursing at St. Joseph's College, the director of the Catholic uh, Conference in Connecticut. Uh, it was the executive officer for the Connecticut Board of Examiners for Nursing. Mm -hmm. She's a registered nurse. Uh, you spent 20 years training nurses in the U.S. Army Reserve. Correct. And, and you left as a colonel. That's correct. Uh, that's pretty mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah. She, she's also a canon lawyer mm -hmm. and has served as a resource uh, for the U.S. Bishops Conference on the implementation of the ethical and religious directives of the Catholic Health Air uh, Services as well as on church and state relations. So you have a, a great, great background to talk about Catholic and bioethical issues here. I, I think the first question is, do we need to salute you? That's right, that's right, that's right. No, I'm, I'm so glad you didn't come in your uniform. You'd be very intimidated. <laughs> well, I was hoping you weren't going to give my age after all that too, Michael, but thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here at this wonderful campus also. Uh, I've heard so much about it, and this is my first trip here, so. Well, I'm so glad you could be great here Great hospitality. With us. Thank you, happy thank to be you. Here. As we start this topic, could you help just define for us what is uh, the culture of death? It's something we talk about, but sure. what, what, what is that? Well, simply stated, it's the culture of deceit. Mm. We have basically taken the whole understanding of our human identity, our human uh, personality, and have deceived ourselves and others in terms of the language we have used. And we have labeled basically evil as good. Mm. We have convinced people in our society, the society where secular relativism prevails, that we can have a perfect life, that there is no suffering, which is really denying our own humanity. And in so doing, what we've convinced people of is that life needs to be perfect and therefore the whole culture of death, if it's not perfect, we will not allow it to come into being. We will uh, impact the lives of persons with disabilities and we will destroy lives at the end of life if they're not perfect. So I, I label it as a culture of deceit. You know, I, I'm so glad that you cast 
of the discussion at the level of, of truth because mm -hmm. that has to inform the judgments we make, the choices that, uh, that we make. Uh, you know, I, I think of Chesterton's wonderful quip uh, that uh, uh, the only sin is to call green grass gray, mm -hmm. uh, a deliberate mm -hmm. uh, duplicity, mm -hmm. uh, a deliberate stupidity. You mm -hmm. suppress the evidence which is obvious. And we do it with euphemisms all over the place right. in terms of pregnancy reduction, right, right. death with dignity, all these terms. Or, or the mother and yeah. fetal material. Which fetal material, biological material, day. even yeah. worse, biological yeah. material. Yeah, this idea that language doesn't matter, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. it really is the conveyor of truth and it's mm -hmm. the means of deceit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's one thing to approach the truth. It's another thing to actually manipulate the language so that you distort people's perception mm -hmm. of what the meaning of life is. Because mm -hmm. at one level, we all know. But as you grow more intelligent, as you grow more capable of communicating messages mm -hmm. with a twist, mm -hmm. you know, this is precisely where the green grass gets gray. Right. right. Yeah. Well, this was the great lesson, I think, of George Orwell, that mm -hmm. political corruption is always preceded by a kind of linguistic uh, mm -hmm. corruption. Mm -hmm. uh, you twist uh, and distort uh, and, and cheapen and debase the meaning of words, and that invites uh, political corruption. And just look at our great pontifical documents. In Benedict, in Caritas and Veritate, he says it so very well that charity without truth is just sentimentality. It's sentiment. Mm -hmm. And so that's how this culture has advanced. Yes. This culture of death has advanced because we dress up the evil as good. Right. And people think it's charitable and kind. Right. Yeah. How did we end up in a mm -hmm. world where a pro-life ethic, pro, uh, you know, uh, advancing a culture of mm -hmm. life somehow becomes antithetical to freedom and mm -hmm. to uh, personal choice? How, how do we... Well, I think there are two cultural phenomenon that have occurred, phenomena plural, because I think there were two that coalesced at the same time. One, I do think, was the inv invention of the oral contraceptive. Mm -hmm. When we separated the unitive and procreative nature of human sexuality and redefined sexuality to be what anyone deemed it to be. We hurt women, we clearly have hurt women. We've hurt children, we've hurt society. But right at the same time, the second phenomenon that occurred was the good, and this is how the evil one works, works taking a good and turn, turning it into an evil, the good of human rights. The whole era of human rights that we should advance the protections of persons. I sit on the uh, board of the National Catholic Partnership on Disabilities, and we clearly want human rights and respect for persons, but when we have turned that human right into what anyone wants it to be defined as in place and time, we have distorted the whole nature of natural moral law and the good. Yeah. So those two things coalescing at the same time. And mm. again, uh, human rights are very important. Right to religious liberty, very important. But when we made it a subjective right, it's whatever I define it to be, and then have distorted human sexuality so that life, the embryo became the enemy. With yeah, contraception, yeah, the yeah. embryo became the enemy. Well, when you shatter mm. uh, the unity of, of sex mm -hmm. and love and life, uh, among other catastrophes, mm -hmm. uh, you unleash and license lots of irresponsible right. men. Uh, you, you give them a sanction to be predatory, to be self-seeking. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really have been the beneficiaries yes, of this sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. And women and children 
have been the victims. Yes. But they've been destroyed in the process. That's it, right. Beneficiaries, so-called, in a yeah. certain right. sense, yeah. mm -hmm. a different form right. yeah. of yeah. victimization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the coordination of things, the proper order is so important, as we were just saying a minute ago, the relationship of language to truth. Yes. You know, if, if the tail wags the dog, then the language distorts the truth. Likewise, the relationship between rights and duties. I have certain rights as yes. a father. Right because I have certain duties, duties as a parent. Yeah. But if we just simply absolutize the rights mm -hmm. and begin to ignore the duties, it's like treating language mm -hmm. as though it's just the way that we can make reality whatever mm -hmm. we want. We can make our rights whatever we are succeeding at politically mm -hmm. pressuring people to grant. And I, and I just think that we're gonna have to take a step back and recognize that the Catholic Church has a role to play in this. A protective role. Yeah, yeah a protective and a liberating role, role right. with respect right. to the truth that sets us free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, to protect the defenseless. I, I was much struck mm -hmm. by that one comment you made at the beginning about people wanting perfect uh, children. Mm -hmm. uh, at the perfect, perfect time. This right. myth, this illusion mm -hmm. of, of perfectibility, mm -hmm. uh, designer uh, genes. And exactly. if you don't get the right outcome, uh, then you, you have a search and destroy method uh, mm -hmm. uh, mission and, and you extirpate the mistake and well, start over as right if you're on. talking about animal husbandry. You're right on because now we have pre-implantation genetic diagnosis where persons through in vitro fertilization can determine which embryos they are going to implant. They remove a cell and right. do a we're genetic determination. Stage. But we're finding out there is a, a, a study that has done of those in the United States, those centers that will do pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, 42% of them do it for sex selection. Oh gosh. Mm. So, so prior to implantation, prior to... Mm -hmm. <sighs> and we do know, we've seen already Canada had a study recently in which they uh, looked at what percentage of persons, male or female, are allowed to be implanted. And especially in populations that are coming from, as uh, migrants into the country with perhaps another mindset in terms of the value of women, the uh, embryos that are being allowed to be implanted are going to be male. So you do wonder, with the feminist agenda, why aren't people outraged? Right. Yeah. Why well, aren't people and, and with that too, I, I was reading something just with the in vitro fertilization, mm -hmm. where the children that are now coming forward mm -hmm. that are saying, "Why did you not care that I had a father? Why, you know, that they're 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 now asking the questions." Mm -hmm. Is this what it was? I was just a science experiment to you? Right. I mean, these are all the repercussions that they don't right. think about. Right. Uh, and they'll take their revenge uh, at some point. Well, and, yeah. but even worse than that, because many times it's the mom and dad are the biological parents, but mm. perhaps someone has had a vasectomy or someone has had a tubal ligation or remarriage, and so they resort to in vitro fertilization. It's not the only reason people resort to that. There are fertility issues also, but not all those embryos often are implanted and allowed right. to live. And can you imagine being the teenager knowing know, that you might you have know. frozen in time siblings, or right. even worse, they have a reduction, meaning if more than two embryos took, as they say in yeah, the language. Well, this yeah. ethic of entitlement, mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I think it particularly afflicts uh, the baby boomer generation, mm -hmm. that this is something we expect. Uh, and if we don't get right. what we expect, uh, you know, then like the uh, the pampered child uh, mm -hmm. whom uh, Dr. Spock instructed uh, the parents always uh -huh. to indulge, uh, we're going to have an explosion. Right. We're going to have a meltdown. This must be really dismaying for you because you've given your life 
uh, to the helping profession, training nurses uh, and, and so forth. I mean, to well, witness Regis, this you, kind of travesty. You've raised a very good point because as a nurse, I went to Children's Hospital in Boston for my education and saved the youngest of babies, the, the most premature babies in terms of the work we did. And then you see right now, even in Netherlands, the first country to legalize assisted suicide, that there is a protocol, a medical protocol, that parents can decide after their child is born whether or not that child will have undue suffering. And it only has to be an anticipated suffering to decide whether that child is going to live or die. Anticipated suffering. Right, right. I mean, in a country in America where we can save the bald eagle, mm -hmm. we can right. save exactly. the egg of the bald eagle. That's right, yet exactly. We, we don't mm -hmm. even protect our What family. an Orwellian phrase, anticipated suffering. Right. I don't know that anybody gets out uh, alive. Wow. Death is no a kind kidding. of suffering. Right. Well, so that's right. Maybe we should it's, all pull the plug. It's wow. absolutely correct, and it's back to my original point in the society that says that we should not suffer. Suffer is an e suffering is an evil yeah. and avoid it at all costs. So the and newborn baby is, I guess, post-fetal material. Huh. Right. You know, I, yeah. I shouldn't yes. give them any ideas or right, suggestions. Right, right. I mean, Another euphemism. Yeah, Another exactly. euphemism. But it also goes back to just the ordering of things, you know, rights mm -hmm. and duties. But, you know, mm -hmm. suffering is, is at any expense. I mean, you know, we don't try to seek out suffering That's necessarily. Right. That's right. Mortifications every now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, some of us need it more than others. Mm -hmm. but, um, mm -hmm. but now we're taking suffering so that that is, that is uber alles, over life, over other rights and responsibilities. That's right, to but, avoid it. Well, that was the it. point that Pope Benedict made, uh, that... Uh, the way you determine the quality of, of a culture is in terms of its relationship to people who suffer mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to the condition mm -hmm, of, of mm -hmm. suffering. In Space Salve, he talked about a society unable to suffer with, with compassion, yeah. be companions to the sufferer, is a cruel and inhumane society. Yeah. And absolutely when we see the death with dignity movement that's what it's about yeah. even it if it's a cost efficient uh, society this right. culture of deceit though has mm -hmm. roots that go back much further you know because once again Pope Benedict in that famous Regensburg address oh, yes. didn't trace yeah. this back to the 1960s mm -hmm. he traced it back to the 13 and 1400s mm -hmm. where a very subtle but seismic shift occurs where you know the the priority of the truth of reality of mm -hmm. the nature of things gives way to the higher primacy of freedom mm -hmm. yeah. and choice the and triumph so, of mm -hmm. the will mm -hmm. yeah and so when we ask ourselves why do feminists not protest you know the the selection of of, of male embryos mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's ultimately because they're not really about femininity or womanhood it's a, it's it's an absolutely irresponsible freedom where you can assert your own autonomy with an absoluteness, mm -hmm. you know, nothing but pro-choice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, you know, I, I think we recognize on the one hand that this is evil, but on the other hand, it really is a culture of deceit. You've got a lot of people who are embracing evil and calling it good and then passing polygraphs. I mean, mm -hmm. they sincerely <laughs> believe this stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it uh, touches killer. on the demonic uh, because oh, it's definitely. the of saying, oh, I will definitely. not serve yeah. the truth or a god. Oh, I mean, that's an invitation to the satanic. Yeah. Oh. And when you think of all these different instances, it's not just, it's not one isolated thing. It really is a culture mm -hmm. of death. Yeah. It's really that whole pervasive. Mm -hmm. uh, in our next segment, we'll be continuing to talk about the culture of life, defending it um, with uh, Dr. Marie Hilliard. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Not everyone is called to do exactly the same thing. I think that uh, some 
people are in different situations. Some people are called to work in the political arena. Some people are called to just work as teachers. Some people are just called to work in their family. But uh, as Pope John Paul II uh, wrote in uh, Evangelium Vitae in 1995, uh, where he was warning us back then that there is an emerging culture of death and that we have to respond to this, uh, this urgent crisis. And so in that encyclical, near the end of that encyclical, he called on us all in different, different walks of life to respond to this to to the urgent crisis of this emer this clash between a culture of life and an emerging culture of death, and one of the things that he said I think was very very well many things he said were helpful but one of the things in particular what I think was very helpful he said that we just need to renew our baptismal vows and we need to renew our act of faith and we need to just. Uh, do everything we can as a Christian, just lead a, lead a very good Christian life, and then also, of course, study these issues and meditate on these issues and look at the arguments and, and bear witness to what we believe as Catholics. My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester, I had sacraments with Dr. Hahn. And uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple, God's but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Today we're discussing Catholic issues in healthcare and bioethics with Dr. Marie Hilliard, who's a nurse, a teacher, and an advocate for life. Um, we have now a clear picture of the culture of death. Mm -hmm. um, so now let's talk about how do we defend the culture of life, or maybe even more appropriate, how do we advance the culture of life? Mm -hmm. How do we begin uh, in that sure. arena? Sure. Well, the, the good news is that there is an order to mm -hmm. nature, and that's natural moral law. And there are things of which we can know rationally. We can know through our intellect. And I think as science is, is advancing, science is really on our side, that we can see that this is life from the moment of fertilization. We, we can know through a number of procedures in terms of when someone truly is brain dead. There are things that uh, will help us because in uh, advancing the culture of life, again, science is on our side. and we participate as rational human beings in advancing that and in understanding the purpose and nature of, that it is built into um, things, uh, nature, science, uh, uh, the human person, there, there's an order. Yeah. And so uh, we should use all that's at our disposal. We should use our knowledge. We should use prudential judgment. We should use science. Uh, I was, as you said, I was a lobbyist for the bishops in Connecticut. That's what it entails when you're the director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference or any state Catholic conference. I never, and I testified sometimes in five hearings per day uh, from our social justice issues, our Catholic charities issues, because we do it all as a church. Right. We do right. it all as a We're church. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and we're the largest provider of education, health services, and human services. I never had to use a papal document. My mother had this great uh, statement, sanctity is sanity. It's rational, and yeah. we can know 
through our, our, our knowledge. We can know through reason. This is the faith and reason. That's this right, exactly. The natural so, moral law yeah, that is encoded. That's there. right. That's, we participate in the eternal law as human beings, as rational human beings, which is what natural moral law is. And uh, in so doing, if we can appeal to the good that's written on the hearts of men and right. women, as Paul right. tells us, if we can appeal to the good rationally, we can advance. And again, sanctity is sanity. Now, yeah, that, that's a wonderful uh, title, Theology and Sanity, by the <laughs> way. Yeah. I mean, implicit in that mm -hmm. is the acknowledgement mm -hmm. that there is an order of mm -hmm. being, an order of nature, of truth, that's structured right. into mm -hmm. the cosmos mm -hmm. because God is logos. Mm -hmm. He's reason, mm -hmm. intelligibility. You know, as much as we welcome the support from our evangelical friends, yes. they are to some extent, I, I think, hamstrung mm -hmm. by an exclusively biblically based right. Uh, right. ethic. Right. Uh, I mean, w it's not that we shun the Bible, mm -hmm. but that's revelation. Mm -hmm. that's right. We have nature, and, right. and nature speaks. It's a parable. Right. It tells a, a story. A it has a script. Of evangelical Protestant ethicists, though, have really awakened to the natural law tradition yes, and embraced mm -hmm. this and come alongside as co-workers, mm -hmm. you know, in the field, mm -hmm. you know, and not just out of strategy, but out of the recognition that there is an there's objective truth. natural order that, yeah. that that and human reason is certainly affected by sin, but it itself is not fallen. And as a result, we are able to understand that, you know, you can jump off a building and deny gravity, but you're gonna hit. You know, <laughs> right, right. reality right. has a way of winning out. Right. Right. Well, you know, you know, what's crazy here is that so many times uh, it is the, the culture of death advocates that are saying we're the ones imposing a religion yeah. and that we're imposing some sort right. of our theology. Exactly. But what you're just talking about is completely opposite of that. It's, it's actually right. starting with the natural law and starting with order that is seen and re mm -hmm. re relevant in, in science that, mm -hmm. is, that is tangible that we can mm -hmm. look to and can't dispute. But we, they're half right in the sense that we're reminding them that objectivity is imposing itself That's on right. all of us. That's right. right. That's right. And That's the exactly. truth of yes. that <laughs> is a painful one because right. you're basically not free to do whatever you want mm -hmm. yeah. if there is this objective order imposing itself on all of us. And, and yet nature. in the teeth of reality, we find the opponents of life persisting uh, with this death uh, uh, ethic. Uh, I think of the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. it, it would seem to be a teaching moment uh, uh, for homosexuals, and yet they flat out deny it. And then the president of the United States comes forward and says, you know, I personally think gay marriage is a good thing. Right. I mean, I mean th this, th this flies in the face of being reality. And again, it's an insulting mm -hmm. uh, uh, affront right. exactly, uh, right. to reality. But if we look at history and we look at the, the whole purpose of identifying in law marriage as a protected structure of society, the whole reason that laws have been evolving over time to protect marriage is because of the nature of marriage, that a yeah. man and woman come together and through their sacred act, yeah. they engender a human being that needs to be entrusted to their care and is by God and by society, that's what marriage laws are about, for the good of society. Yeah, that's right. And nothing can match that. And yeah, no society in the history mm -hmm. of the world has ever countenanced uh, the coupling mm -hmm. of, of, of two male bodies or two mm -hmm. female bodies. Mm -hmm. I mean, that principle of complementarity mm -hmm. is rooted in the structures of nature. Mm -hmm. It's also rooted in the reality of God. Right. Um, who, yeah. who, uh, that principle of, of otherness happens to be an aspect of the Trinitarian God. You know, I was just reading in St. Thomas's Summa in uh, the Secunda Secundae, you know, about how evil this is Scott's really light reading, by the way. My favorite reading, reading besides <laughs> the Bible. But the, uh, the, 
the description that St. Thomas gives of cultures that really sort of just unwind. You know, he, he, de he describes how, you know, eating human flesh is one example, and then the sin against nature. Mm. And of course, we know what he's referring to. Right. Yeah. And yet, it's almost incomprehensible to many people to call anything a sin against nature, right. much mm. less a basic right, yeah. you know, and now the redefinition of marriage. But it gets us back to something that on the one hand, people do have the natural capacity in human reason to know, as Paul tells us in Romans 1. But he goes on to say, so they were without excuse because they know these things. They know God, they know the natural moral law, but they, they don't acknowledge their knowledge. They, they turn away from the light and they turn away from the truth. So while they're without excuse because they have the natural reason, they're not without need of supernatural grace. Right. You know, up north a lot of people have, you know, homes down in Florida if they're wealthy, mm -hmm. you know, to get away during the cold winter. Mm -hmm. As Catholics, we don't have, you know, the opportunity to kind of say, well, we're in the really cold winter of secular culture. We're just going to, you know, escape yeah. and we're going to go to the Bible and encyclicals and grace and supernatural. You know, my point is that these people need not only the natural law, but the supernatural light that comes from Christ. Right. The new evangelization is not like our winter home in Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, the new evangelization <laughs> and advancing the culture of life are really two rooms in the same home. That's true. Yeah. And we have to promote the culture of life and appeal to natural reason all the while we hold out right. supernatural grace because it isn't like we got it because we're just a little smarter than they are. Right. Yeah. We are the recipients of a mercy that is destined for them as well. And you, you know. talked about the evangelicals and I thank God for them because oh, yeah, I will yeah, tell yeah, you right. when I was lobbying with the uh, for the Catholic bishops they were wonderful because uh, by grace we are all saved right. and they certainly got a great understanding of the divine and the role that we are to play in our society in advancing the kingdom. And uh, in terms of the biblical imperatives, they're there and they're consistent with They're us. fearless, uh, I, I think, they, in promoting. Zealous. And their, yeah, yeah, their zeal is, yes. is palpable. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our they are sobriety the in the natural law <laughs> tradition and their evangelistic zeal. Yes. Yeah, it's a great complementarity. Yeah, and I think yeah. just Speaking going back to your point, yeah. it's, it's perfect because we, they are the army. Because mm -hmm. in politics, when I spent about 10 years, they were the army. They were out yeah. there. Yes. Uh, but there was this intellectual uh, property that, that, that we have mm -hmm. in our tradition. In, in fact, to our shame, some of the most notorious anti-life politicians uh, in yes. Washington are Catholic. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's and right. you know, you had that, that wonderful category of being brain dead. I would apply that to most of the politicians uh, <laughs> yeah. serving today. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it's, just, it's just that nobody has noticed. Right. That is an amateur diagnosis. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Don't venture No, we're yes. not going to take any organs yeah. from them. That's right. <laughs> but a, a, number of, a number of evangelicals have pointed out the uh, the proportion of Catholics in the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, and yet at the same time, your point I think illustrates the the nature of the hinge figure of Kennedy, because here is a here is a Catholic who is sometimes apparently Catholic in name only, right. yes, you know, and yes. so this this figure who knows he's the swing vote, yeah. you know, is really a kind of a allegory of where we are as a church in yeah. our culture today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of Shakespeare's line uh, when it you know lilies that fester. They smell worse than weeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, the corruption of the best mm -hmm. is, is the worst of all mm -hmm. uh, forms of corruption. And if we get back to the human rights argument that I think, um, I believe, has perhaps hindered some of our religious liberty, there's a real misunderstanding of the First Amendment. And in the First Amendment has been used against us because Catholics right. have been told, I can remember when I was traveling somewhere and people would ask me, well, what do you do? And when I'd say, well, I, I, I'm a public policy officer for the bishops of Connecticut, 
And what does that mean? Well, I am a registered lobbyist because by law I have to be in that role. And they go, and these would be Catholics sometimes. Oh, that's a violation of the separation oh, of church yeah, and state. Yeah. So a real misunderstanding of the nature of what it means to live in the public square and speak in the public square is if we are not able to do that because we're not able to bring or our like values. Or re yeah, reject yeah. all of it. Well, that's again another linguistic mm -hmm. slippage that's because the, the separation right. of church and state is one thing. But the separation of religion and state is no thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's right. nothing. Or life and faith. Or that's you only right. have a freedom to worship, not a freedom that's to right. religion. And that's what's well, that's the process right of Well, I think the, you know the impact of that speech by John Kennedy back mm -hmm. in 1960 yes. in Houston yes. has had a far-reaching right. uh, uh, effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Every person, even an atheist, is to bring into the public square an understanding of values and the source of those values. Right. Right. And ultimately, we know the source of those values, the source of the good is the divine, our creator. And if we do not bring values into the public square, it's going to be what we're seeing now, a utilitarian society where the greatest good for the greatest number, you would want to be in the greatest right. number mm, or else you're sure. endangered. Yeah, and that right. means persons with disabilities, persons right. with dementia, uh, yeah. The young, yeah. Well, you look at the, all the the, the the uh, prenatal diagnosis that Absolutely. actually is selective with Down syndrome and so many oh, other. We're all vulnerable. selected out. And in yeah. fact, this segment is about uh, articulating a culture mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. And the moment you you underscore life, you can't help but think of the author of life, whose name is life, being. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, Tertullian has a great line. He says that when Moses turns to God to ask him, what is your name? Mm -hmm. He learns a new name. You know, my mm. name is ipsum esse mm. subsistence, to be. My name is esse existence. So we're on the side of life. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Not, I mean, philosophically, what he's really saying is, I am life. I don't just have life. Right. I am, I am life. life. And my you live because you to participate. Be. Yeah. The gospel yeah. of life tells us that we participate in that life. Right. And I mean, that's the high point of the life. Old Testament. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that, that thunderous uh, discovery, that theophany, that God's name is to be. Mm -hmm. But in our sharing in that life, that sacred life, to deny that, which is what we're seeing in the culture of death, that's why the gospel of life is so relevant yeah. that we, as human beings, no matter how flawed, no matter the, the child who has anencephaly, yeah. the, the little baby born with uh, no limbs, the elderly person with dementia who people say wouldn't want to live this way, yeah. that we can therefore deny that life mm. when we are sharing in that life, the divine life of God, right. the cultural life. It's a beautiful message. It's, it's a truism. Yeah. They're and all equally precious all in the sight of God. You know, I'm glad you remind us of the gospel of life because that too reinforces the notion that mm -hmm. the church's mission, which is the new evangelization, isn't in tension with promoting a culture of life. Mm -hmm. right. It's really a coordinated thing mm -hmm. you know, to see. If you want to get people just up to the natural law, they're not going to make it. Right. If you're going to get them up to supernatural grace and conversion, you're going to also get them up on the way right. mm -hmm. to you restoring to the natural law and natural virtue. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so the gospel of life is restoring life at the human, but then ultimately the divine level mm -hmm. as well. Because once you have that, it's pointing you naturally up. Right. Without right. that, though, it's mo so much harder to even... And those people that. who are suffering that you just enumerated yes. are in some ways physical signs of what spiritually we all are. Yeah. In course, God's eyes, course, you know, and right. so it really is, again, yeah. a united front. Yeah. For the you know, church. somebody once asked Flannery O'Connor, why do you always write about freaks? And her answer was, because I can still recognize one. We are all <laughs> freaks. 
We're, and, and the freak becomes a symbol of our universal, common human displacement. Less than perfect, but, sh but sharing in the divine. Less yeah. than perfect. That's right. And so advancing the culture of life ultimately is the union of faith and reason, showing both of those, not backing down on either case, Absolutely. but how they work together as a marriage. Mm -hmm. um, we'll continue our conversation here on uh, Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. When the culture says that we are not going to protect all innocent human life, and that we're not going to draw the distinction between what is human life and what is not human life, we're going to let individuals make that distinction, which in effect says that, well, we're not going to provide equal protection of the law to every human being. There, there's a whole class of human beings that now the United States does not provide equal protection of the law for. That was the first major step, and that, rem that, that remains the central, uh, most serious issue for, for, for us as human beings and Christians and Catholics. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. I'm glad you joined us for Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program comes from our communication art studio right here in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment um, our, our panelists, our regular panelists, are our members of our theology department here. This entire program really comes forth from uh, the life of Franciscan University. Um, Dr. Hilliard, let, let's continue the conversation. We've talked about the culture of death. We've talked about defending uh, the culture of life. But now let's talk about the gospel of life. Mm -hmm. what, what is the gospel of life? What is the good news mm -hmm. uh, of, of Well, the, the very word, the gospel of life, it is the good news. Yeah. And uh, I talked earlier about the wonderful documents we have. And yes, we have great intellectual scholarship and uh, prudence and reason. But when it gets lived out, that's when you see the beauty of it. And we're here on the beautiful campus of Steubenville, Franciscan University of Steubenville. And when you see the faces of young people, mm -hmm. very recently I was talking to uh, a priest who didn't know I had any association here, that I was even coming here, and he was saying to me how lucky he was he had so many of the graduates from this university in his parish, and he talked about their radiant faces. Mm. For when we live in the truth, it is the good news. We have an understanding of how God intended nature to be used, relationships to be developed, human sexuality to be lived out, care of persons who have disabilities, the gift we have when we are allowed to care for them. Mm. It is the good news. And so um, there are many things from, uh, that our church has in place and many other churches who are giving witness to life have in, have in place in terms of living out that example from conception until natural death. So uh, the message in terms of our documents, uh, papal documents, ex ex excellent scholarship, but then when it gets lived out through our young people especially, that is the good news mm. because we are seeing a growth in our young folks of an understanding, perhaps because they've experienced it better, yeah. 
yeah. than yeah. Uh, a generation before. So true. And when they encounter that truth mm -hmm. and that life, mm -hmm. who is a person named Christ, their their whole lives are transformed. And, and that's yes. why the documents are not enough. Mm -hmm. You know, right. salvation right. will not come through documents, right. but it also will not come without them. That's right. I'm grateful <laughs> for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> but even more than the Gospels, for the evangelists themselves who are out there evangelizing, you know. Our current evangelists. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I remember when I first considered becoming a Catholic back in 1985 and 86, I had already spent a couple of years just discovering this treasury of papal encyclicals. And of course, I mean, that included John Paul's Redemptor Hominis and several others, but Humane Vitae. And then I discovered not only the documents of Vatican II, but how from 1938 to about 1950, in less than 20 years, Pius XII had produced 41 encyclicals, mm -hmm. more than all of his successors he combined to the God. day. <laughs> yeah. And when I read these, the luminous, mm -hmm. profound, practical wisdom, yeah. I remember thinking, you know, this has been here all along. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. what in the world? And, I, and it struck me that this is sort of the contemporary equivalent to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I mean, this is prophetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people will look back in 100 or 200 years and say, those documents couldn't have been written yet. Right. People would have read them and have awakened, right. you know? Right. And, that's, and right. that's what's right. happening to right. young people here. Right. That's why they're radiant. Mm -hmm. They're awaking up mm -hmm. spiritually and intellectually mm -hmm. by reading these documents along with the scripture and the mm -hmm. tradition philosophy, and they're like, this wow. is powerful. You know, right. when, when you mentioned the legacy of Pius XII, uh, I, I think of the serenity of, of the perspective uh, mm -hmm. from which uh, these documents were, were cobbled together. In 1943, when all of Europe, the whole world, is going up in flames, mm -hmm. he's writing Mystici Corporis Christi on the mystical mm. body of mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about uh, the sheer impartiality and transcendent nature of the truth, the truth about mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, the church, it, she's in the midst of the world, persecuted Being by persecuted. the world, but also uh, favored by the consolations of, of God. That's how Augustine put it. And she somehow rises above circumstance mm -hmm. to deal with circumstance because she has an eternal uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. I might add that in the 50s, you know, when Fulton Sheen was winning yes. Emmys, yes. Yeah. he was writing, Pius XII was writing on abortion, infanticide, That's euthanasia, right. science, yeah. all of these things. Ordinary versus or extraordinary. That's right. Yes. That's right. You know, when you go back, people say, oh, well, that's preconciliar. And yet, Pius XII is the most frequently quoted source in the Vatican II documents That's right. in terms of contemporary teaching. And so, so let's bring this to some good news. Good news. news. Yes. Good okay. news. So when we're talking yeah. about mm -hmm. contraception, mm -hmm. I mean, this is the, a burning issue out there uh, in healthcare today. Sure. It's on the forefront. What are some good news that well, we can it's back, share? Back to faith and reason. We yeah. have this whole understanding of human, the human body called naprotechnology. Mm. And which is far better for women than any chemical, uh, and certainly in uh, activities in which condoms are used, which they can break, and disease is still uh, transmitted from one person to another, that the, the whole nature of the, the conjugal act that is sacred between a one man, one woman for life in marriage, and then NAPRO technology for folks to work within their fertility. Yeah. It's, it's Expl great. Yeah, it, it, explain NAPRO yeah. technology, because yes. I'm new to this in yeah. the last few okay. years. Okay. Uh, well, there is a, a whole understanding of science in terms of our bodies, not just uh, female bodies, but male bodies in terms of the beauty of the conjugal act. There's a dance that occurs actually between a man and a woman. The woman's body actually capacitates the sperm so that that sperm can uh, engender a human being, reach the ovum, 
and understanding how that happens, it, what timing uh, occurs, when a woman is fertile, how to uh, engage in uh, human sexuality when one does desire to engender a human being with um, working with God, working with God so that it's not a contraceptive mentality, yep. that we're not using NAPRO technology to uh, uh, supersede God's will, but we use it as responsible parents, responsible parenthood. A woman no, being aware of her body and her cycle, work, working together with her husband yeah. who respects that and understands uh, how she is to be respected. And uh, wonderful, wonderful science, but it's not just in terms of trying to be responsible parents in terms of spa pa spacing uh, pregnancies, but it's also in terms of fertility care. And mm. we've moved into this eugenic mentality that yep. we've been talking about, in vitro fertilization, now people uh, are suffering from infertility through no fault of their own and really want to be good parents, but they, many times all that's presented to them by the medical community is jumping right. to in vitro fertilization yeah. that violates both the unitive and procreative yeah. nature of, na of marriage. And uh, natural technology can yeah. help in natural ways sure. to... Yeah, the thing we don't want to do is instrumentalize uh, uh, the whole mystery right. of, of sexuality. Exactly. Uh, in, in, in listening to you, it sounds almost as if this is by design, that there is mm. some providential intelligence. That nature's God is orchestrating mm -hmm. things that mm -hmm. men and women were meant to be fitted naturally together. Absolutely. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. When mm -hmm. errors come up and technology is misused, mm -hmm. then graces and insights are given by God to scientists who really want to conform their thoughts mm -hmm. to the truth of yeah, the natural right. order. You know, And that's what's beautiful, because we are body and soul united in the person. We're male and female united in the marital covenant. And I think we're also recognizing what you were speaking of, and that is the unity of faith and reason. Yes. And, and how, when we reason in the light of faith, we're not constrained so we have to reason less. Mm -hmm. We're liberated and empowered to reason far more. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, if you ask yourself, what is life all about? It, it's about self-giving, self-donation, mm -hmm. self-possession for the sake of mm -hmm. self-giving. Mm -hmm. And that's a great uh, message. And yeah. I mean, there, there's an you know, iconography, a, a grammar uh, to all of this that, that we can read in the very structure of, of the human body. Man was made to receive and give himself Built to the other. And there has to be that otherness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that metaphor of the mm -hmm. dance, that, that's really mm -hmm. quite thrilling. I mean, when Dante speaks of love, mm -hmm. uh, he ends the, the Divine Comedy on that note. It's mm -hmm. love that moves uh, the, the sun and the stars mm -hmm. and the planets. It's a kind of energy, a force, mm -hmm. a dynamism. It's a divine eros. Mm -hmm. And we plug into that when we do what's natural. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting that dancing has now become a kind of solo act it's yes, almost an, yes, indic yes, an, an yes, indicator yes. Of, of the, you know, we know that to give yourself is to find yourself, however unexpected and counterintuitive that is. And that isn't just a, a supernatural mystery. That's something that we know from the heroes of our country that we celebrate throughout the year. And yet that's a lesson that is being so lost. Yes. You know, well, it's technology and again. You've got yeah. to cling to yourself to find right. yourself. Yeah. And in the process, like squeezing sand, you lose it. It's like the name of that book that came out about 10 years ago called Bowling Alone. 
Um, it, it's it's an oxymoron. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't dance by yourself. You need a partner. That's So let's go to some other topics mm -hmm. here. We talked about the, the, the good news uh, in contraception. Mm -hmm. Let, let's talk about um, euthanasia. Okay. Um, this is obviously another okay. pertinent issue out for so many. Certainly. And the gospel of life hails palliative care. We have wonderful palliative care. Yeah. You know, end of life care. End of life care. And of course, in terms of, again, back to Pius XII, uh, we know that there are things that don't have to be engaged in in terms of being extraordinary means. But at the same time, we know that there are, pa there are pain control initiatives, even if the intent is not, uh, even if the uh, uh, anticipated but unintended side effect might be to hasten death mm. uh, if someone is terminally ill and at the end of life, there are ways, no one should die in pain and no one should die suffering. We as a society have an obligation. Yeah, and, and nobody should have to die alone. Definitely. Yet, yeah. Increasingly, Definitely. people live alone and they die alone. Well, it's back to that misuse of technology. People are in front of computers. Yeah. They're playing games by themselves. Yeah. Now, I have five brothers, and in my backyard, we had a whole baseball field just from where they ran. And mm -hmm. everyone was out there in the backyard. Right. They weren't right. in an, right. alone at home yeah. in front of their computers. Yeah. Same with sexuality. We know yeah. there's a real problem with pornography. That's right. Which and married men, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, because then you're, you're, in both of those, you're removing mm -hmm. love mm -hmm. right. from the context, whether it be mm -hmm. contraceptive or euthanasia. Mm -hmm. It's removing what is naturally there mm -hmm. and making it a sterile, clinical, uh, well, And you reduce the other to his or her parts. Yes. Yes. So right. many interchangeable mm -hmm. parts. Mm -hmm. You objectify the mm -hmm. other. Yeah. Well, what a dehumanization. Right. And really only computer generated images of those parts. That's no right. You know? It's not yeah. real. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, yeah. they don't want it to be real because real is personal. Yeah. Yeah. Real is interacting with the human person, which means interacting with the divine yeah. when we interact with each other. Because you are drawn yeah. into that. Like we were talking earlier, I mean, if you don't have those basics, you mm -hmm. can't be drawn up to the transcendent. Right. Yeah. And so right. if you remain on the surface, it's safe. It's, right. It doesn't go there. But you know, assisted suicide isn't just for persons at the end of life that we're seeing in advanced. Mm. We that eugenic mentality for a woman who's carrying a baby with a fetal, fatal anomaly. Mm -hmm. And we know that 90% of physicians have no problem with aborting a baby who has a fetal, fatal anomaly. Yeah. But there is good news, which is what you had asked me about. Yeah. There are groups out there. There's a group on the internet. It's called BeNotAfraid.net. BeNotAfraid.net. Uh, it's basically encouraging mothers to become a perinatal hospice and they support mothers in carrying their babies to term and helping them to understand what a great gift this is to be able to hold that baby even if the baby's going to die within minutes uh, to hours after birth. So there's, you know, this uh, assisted suicide, well, let's, this baby's going to suffer, so we're going to kill the baby in the womb. Yeah. But there's the good news of groups out there, and it started as a group of women who had some experiences themselves in which, you know, they're being told awful things about the, the human being whom they are carrying, who is their child, and deciding to carry their baby to term and helping other women to do it. So again, it's at both mm. ends of the spectrum mm, that there beautiful. is good that news. Is it, I mean, that horizon of eternity towards which we move is so mm -hmm. necessary mm -hmm. uh, in having this conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, those women you're describing are really ushering their That's children right into the arms of God that's, in that's those right. final moments. That's right. It's really moving. And great consolation to them. What well, must be. The baby's yeah. being baptized. And, and moments later, later this yeah. child will look on the face, the face of that's God. That's right. And they have that's an right. advocate before the face of God yeah. in heaven, yeah. their own yeah. child, yeah. That who, whom they have given life 
and many times, even we know that we rely upon the mercy of God if a child uh, died before baptism, but still uh, many times they know that this child relying on the grace of God uh, is going to be their advocate in heaven. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful way to look at it and mm -hmm. to wrap it all in, in such love. Uh, in our final segment, uh, we'll be wrapping up this discussion with some key points. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. But we should be equipped, as St. Peter says, to give a reason give an account for the faith that is, that is within us. So we need now, I think, to answer this call of Pope Paul and then reiterated by Pope Benedict to uh, respond to this urgent crisis of the clash between the culture of life and the culture of death. My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a communication arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, Do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We've come to our final segment here on Franciscan University Presents. We've been discussing today the Catholic issues in bioethics and in healthcare, um, and we're here to wrap up our, our topic with Dr. Marie Hilliard. Uh, Regis, could you start us off with some final thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts that are jostling about in my, my head, but uh, I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, parade any of them without first paying uh, some real sincere tribute uh, to you. I, I realize that you're not in uniform, so <laughs> I don't need to salute uh, uh, the rank, uh, the office, but I do want to salute you uh, for the honorable uh, and, and inspirational work that you continue to do to uphold the standard of, of life. It's, it's really uh, quite edifying. Uh, and uh, if, if I could uh, say something, uh, a piece that was uh, written not so long ago by George Will uh, comes to mind. He's a columnist whom I have sometimes read and often uh, uh, have uh, admired. And it's about his son, his son John, who recently turned 40. And uh, John uh, Will uh, is a Down syndrome uh, uh, son. Mm -hmm. And when he was born, uh, the, the life expectancy of, of those children was about age 20. Right. He's now 40, and uh, he's likely to reach age 60, mm -hmm. which is nowadays uh, the expected age. But uh, George Will goes on to observe that something like 90% of the children who have Down syndrome, who are somehow identified as such in this prenatal uh, testing, are aborted. They're destroyed. Mm -hmm. And, and Will was making the point that the serenity of his son is such that if only the culture uh, would permit itself to be infected mm. by his goodwill, his enthusiasm, his gentleness, uh, it would really raise the tone of, of society. And, and he says that everybody is born sort of brave, trusting, and greedy. Uh, but most of us become even more greedy and we give up being brave and trusting. Mm -hmm. But his son has never been greedy and has always remained brave and trusting. Mm. And th then he quotes that line uh, from, uh, I, I forget the play by Tennessee Williams, but Blanche Dubois 
uh, says, uh, I, I trust myself. No, I, I give myself over to uh, the kindness of strangers. Mm. But nowadays, it's the strangers who are determined to destroy, to snuff out mm -hmm. lives like his sons. And it's so thoughtless. I mean, Chesterton says we don't know what we're doing because we don't know what we're undoing. We are undoing an entire civilization of life and love, and the consequences will be deadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you Scott. You know, science and technology are such goods, and yet they're limited goods, and they give us a false sense of control when we don't respect the limits. And I think of how many people I've known in my life who want to be in control in a way that they can't be. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, that Satan is probably the ultimate control freak. Yeah. You know, he was the prince of this world, and yet he has lost control, and yet he still wants to accuse us. I've got a friend who says, you know, whenever the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we have to recognize that we're in spiritual conflict, mm -hmm. and we cannot do without supernatural grace simply to know the natural law and fulfill it. And if that's true for us, it's not less true, but more so for everybody else, or mm -hmm. as, much, as much so. And I, I think what you have given to me is this renewed sense. You've given it to all of us, a renewed sense that the gospel of life is holistic. It's, it's, it's seamless in the sense that we move from the natural to the supernatural, from the, the physical to the spiritual. Uh, and, and this is something that just reflects our Creator. And I can't help but think that God wants to do something greater than we have the faith to ask, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and He wants to do it much more than we want Him much to. Better. Yeah, and He can and He can do it through the lowly likes of us. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you. I want to echo the tribute because mm -hmm. all of that you've done has just contributed to all that God is going to continue doing. Thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you're hearing the positive because <laughs> these are troubling times, but at the same time very encouraging times. So I'm so happy that I heard that I at least gave somewhat of a positive message because we shouldn't be surprised at all with what we're facing. Humanae Vitae predicted this very outcome in terms of the distortion of human sexuality. And Benedict has been so, so helpful. He did say, and just before he was uh, elected pontiff in 2005, he talked about the dictatorship of relativism in a homily that he yeah. gave and that we're beginning to see that unfold just as it had been predicted by Paul VI. But then, in that wonderful encyclical, In Hope We Are Saved, Space Ave, he looked historically, and I think we talked about this earlier, this is nothing new in terms of yeah. uh, Christianity. Yeah. And the, the trustworthiness, it's a beautiful phrase of hope yeah. that he uses, the trustworthiness of hope. In hope we are saved, and we as a society have a communal responsibility to order human affairs, to have a proper understanding of truth. And I think that's what's happening with our young generation. Mm -hmm. We're living out Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution that calls lady like ourselves, we're all lay folks here, to live in the world and make it holy, right. to be leaven and to sanctify the world from within. And that's what we're seeing on this wonderful campus, these students who are going forth mm -hmm armed with knowledge that's enlightened by faith, a beautiful phrase in your mission statement, to rebuild my church as, as Francis told them to do. So in hope we are saved, and that's the good news.
Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you for me. sharing all of this. Mm -hmm. um, the work you do is truly vital uh, for the world. So thank you, thank for, you for doing that. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to go a little deeper, we have a, a free gift for you, um, an article uh, that uh, Dr. Marie Hilliard wrote, uh, Catholic Issues in Healthcare. It's or the new eugenics, eliminating the undesirable by prenatal diagnosis. This is available just for the asking or uh, for downloading at faithandreason.com on our website. Um, just in summation, when I think about uh, this uh, struggle that we're in. It's really the forces of, of light and darkness, the, the culture of life and the culture of death. I think that the Holy Father put it in that context because it truly is a battle. It's an epic battle and we're all part of it. And uh, in just thinking about all that we've shared, um, it, it reminds me of the passage uh, in the Old Testament about Gideon and how he went out and had a larger army and then the Lord kept narrowing it down, saying, it's, no, it's less, it's less. And I think he went out in the end with 300. Uh, I'm Catholic, uh, so I'm not sure exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but he went against a, an, an insurmountable army, but because he had God on his side, he uh, had the day. And our cause is just, and God is on our side. It doesn't matter if you're the only one in your family, in your community, uh, at church even. Uh, we need to stand up. We cannot be uh, silent, and we cannot be on the sidelines here. Um, I also think we need to be ready uh, to make a witness at any moment. We need to be ready. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just in, in a shopping uh, mall just the other day, and a woman uh, ended up in this conversation. She has one child, and she says it's her only child. And she said, I would do anything for this child. And you could see the love that she had for them. And I said, oh, great. And I shared how many children we have, and she was shocked. Uh, and then, but then I said, well, what, how much would you give for your child? She said, I'd lay down my life, everything. Would you give them the greatest gift of another child? Mm -hmm. And she couldn't. She couldn't comprehend that. Mm -hmm. We need to be pricking the conscience of our culture, of our friends and our family, um, because as, as the late Cardinal O'Connor said, wherever the culture of death is pressing in, uh, that's where the church must be, and that's where we must go. Um, thank you for watching Franciscan University Presents uh, today. It, this springs forth from the very mission uh, of Franciscan University. We're forming the students who are transforming the world. Uh, we invite you to be a part of our mission, to come and earn a degree here on our campus or through our, our distance education program. Join us for one of our inspiring conferences or our pilgrimages to holy shrines. Uh, come and, and be inspired and challenged through our, our online resources. Uh, we have videos and inspiring talks, uh, some of the content of today on faithandreason.com. Uh, it, it, is, it is all that we can do uh, to share with you the gospel of life. Thank you for joining us, and stay tuned next time for Franciscan University Presents. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.